All right, we are back. I don't think I have time to talk in what time we have left today about uh, a little field trip down to Southern California. We'll pick that up, I think, on next week's show. But I do want to note a rather major news item that got short shrift. After all, it is what we specialize in in this program, isn't it? Last Thursday, uh, sanity reigned briefly as President Obama gave a talk about what was needed in the Middle East. The president had some tough talk for Syria and for Bahrain and noted that we will continue to support a bombing campaign against Libya to try and force the resignation of Muammar Gaddafi. But far and away, the most interesting thing was the president's suggestion that we need to base a resolution of the Palestinian-Israeli conflict, starting with the 1967 borders for Israel. For the first time, a president of the United States called last week for a settlement of the Israeli-Palestinian conflict that would create a non-militarized Palestinian state on the basis of Israel's borders before 1967, noting that the international community is tired of an endless process that never produces an outcome. Doing this, President Obama sent a strong signal that the United States expected Israel, as well as the Palestinians, to make concessions to restart the peace talks that have been stalled since last September. Of course, for the Israelis' part, Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, according to the Sacramento Bee article, hinted at ceding land back to the Palestinians, which as far as this correspondent can see, was nothing more than a phrase thrown out that's saying Israel would cede parts of our homeland for true peace. That's quote-unquote. I guess that's a certain amount of progress. That's the first time he's ever said publicly that territorial concessions might be possible in an effort to reach a deal with the Palestinians. Good article by this in the McClatchy newspapers by Shira Frankel. Of course, buried in the article is a list of things that uh, Netanyahu said Israelis would not accept. These included withdrawing from any major West Bank settlement and any agreement that would allow the return to Israel of Palestinian refugees who were forced from their homes during Israel's independence battle. Noted Ms. Frankel, few in Washington saw Netanyahu's presentation as a major change in position. Duh. If you look up the number of settlements that the Israeli government has placed in Palestinian territory, it's pretty mind-boggling. This was done deliberately by Ariel Sharon decades ago to make uh, it impossible to give the land that's supposed to be Palestinian land back to the Palestinian people. It was an opportunity missed to have Arab and Jew live side by side in a Palestinian homeland that did not have one religion or the other as the official one. The British repeated this mistake in partitioning India along religious lines, which caused The Economist to put the the Indian-Pakistani border on its cover as the world's most dangerous frontier. That's probably because both sides have atomic weapons. In the case of the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, only one side has atomic weapons. Since we like to quote letters, I thought there was a good one in the B from Jamal Zaid from Lincoln who said Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu rudely attacked President Obama for his suggestion that Palestine's borders start at the 1967 lines with adjustments and land swap agreed on by both sides. Netanyahu claimed that the 1967 borders were not defensible, and he vowed to continue seizing Palestinian land. It is ironic that Netanyahu talked about Israeli defensive lines when Israel has attacked all of its neighbors some multiple times. Israel's occupation of Palestine has been so brutal that 45% of Palestinian children in the West Bank and Gaza suffer from mental disorders due to Israeli army and settlers' terrorism. 
Netanyahu also claimed the history has not been kind to the Jews who suffered at the hands of stronger parties. The Israelis today have assumed the role of the Inquisitors well. President Obama, please stand on your moral ground and do not bend to Israeli blackmail. Strong words indeed, but uh, ones that have some justification. And we know, too, and follow up on our discussion some months back about uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger's last-minute uh, uh, commutation of the sentence of the son of Fabian Nunez. Marcos Bretone had sort of a semi-apologetic piece saying, well, gee, the, the kid didn't die when he stabbed him. Doesn't strike this correspondence as a very good excuse. I mean, it turned out that he wasn't the actual knife wielder in the case of the kid that did die. Anyway, San Diego County prosecutors and the families of the victims are doing their best to uh, see if they can't uh, have that commutation reversed. They filed a lawsuit seeking to reinstate the 16-year sentence. Notes an article by Julie Watson in the AP. It was filed on behalf of victims Evan Henderson, Keith Robertson, and Brandon Shear, who were injured in the stabbing spree. Ronald Schwarzenegger allegedly said he considered Nunez's 16-year sentence excessive, but did admit later in an interview that, well, you know, Fabian Nunez was his pal in the legislature, and you help your friends, don't you? And I can't resist quoting from one more letter. Donna Levy wrote the Sacramento Bee to say, Judging by the news media and letters to the Bee, we are repulsed by Arnold Schwarzenegger's sordid personal life, but not his public life. He was elected in a historic recall election to clean up the mess in Sacramento and solve the state's budget problems. Yet, he left office with the state in worse condition. Why? Because we elected a popular but politically inexperienced movie actor. Noted Ms. Levy, soon after announcing his candidacy, he suggested the California energy crisis was caused by public power companies competing with private ones. To which he said, really? Closing with, yes, we turn to ignorance to make our lives better. Let's place the outrage where it belongs, in the public realm, not in a private life. And that article we mentioned previously in the, in the, in the uh, program about 70 state parks to shut, looking at a list of state parks slated to close, it's, it's astonishing. Samuel P. Taylor, State Park in Marin, the Salton Sea, State Recreational Area, Palomar Mountain, State Park, Moss Landing, State Beach. we got to look up uh, more about this. did note an email was sent to me by uh, Ryan Todd, whose uh, show used to follow this one a few years back. Uh, Ryan did a great job playing eclectic music. He's also a lawyer, but one of the good ones. Sent an email last year talking about how much money in the state went to the state park system compared to education systems and noted that this is where the state's going to, uh, to cut. I think for his graph, the state parks counted for something like 1% of the state budget. See if we can re- bring Ryan back to talk about that. Of course, meanwhile, in our federal parks, I couldn't resist the article by Marjorie Lundstrom in the B uh, last a- in, in April talking about how scalpers are hogging Yosemite camps- campsites. People reserve spots, then scalp them for up to $150 a day. This has to be stopped. Article notes that 900 Yosemite campsites available in advance reservation cost $20 a night. All right, with about a minute to go, we have one final item uh, from a book donated to the program by Sharon. It's called Lemmings Don't Leap by Edwin Moore, and it has a few errors in it, I don't mind telling you. But one uh, one item I think we'll close with was Mr. Moore's statement that Mr. Ed of the TV program was not, in fact, a zebra. Turns out I did not know this, that this hoax was started deliberately 
by the folks at the Urban Legends site, www.snopes.com, one we've relied upon in this show, and you should too, dear listener, apparently in the hope of establishing how a hoax developed and spreads. Turned out this one spread pretty well. <laughs> Author notes, if you feel like wasting an hour of your life Googling and Yahooing, you'll find quite a few people who accept this story as fact. Apparently you can find headshots of a zebra and Mr. Ed to click on to show you how much they look alike in color and black and white. Apparently Mr. Ed's co-star Alan Young, who I believe is still alive, got quite a kick out of this one. I'm told that Mr. Ed was a zebra, he laughed and said, geez, I, I thought he was a Palomino. Snopes' point is that you should be skeptical about all your sources, including Snopes. And he notes also his book. We would note also this program, although we do the best we can. We do want to hear from you if we make a mistake. Again, you'd find us at info at radioparallax.com. That about does it for today's program, which was produced by Edward McMillan. We want to thank our guest, Dr. Douglas Prednia. Can't recommend his book, Overhauling America's Healthcare Machine, highly enough. Also want to thank our good pal, Mr. Will Durst. Next week's program, we'll see if we can't bring you Mr. Norman Lloyd, a contemporary and co-worker of Orson Welles, Alfred Hitchcock, and Charlie Chaplin. If you have any interest whatsoever in theater, film, TV, and radio, and we hope you do, uh, this will be a fascinating chat. You've been listening to Radio Parallax. I'm Douglas Everett. We'll see you next week. A horse is a horse, of course, of course. And no one can talk to a horse, of course. That is, of course, unless the horse is the famous Mr. Ed. Go right to the source and ask the horse. He'll give you the answer that you endorse. He's always on a steady course. Talk to Mr. Ed. People yakety-yak a streak and waste your time a day. But Mr. Ed will never speak unless he has something to say. A horse is a horse, of course, of course. And this one will talk till his voice is hoarse. You never heard of a talking horse? Well, listen to this. I am Mr. Ed. <laughs> <laughs>